Section 16 of Volume 1D of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume. Volume 1D, Part 3. An incident also happened about this time, which tended to widen the breach between Mary and Elizabeth, and to increase the vigilance and jealousy of the latter princess. Pope Pius V, who had succeeded Paul, after having endeavoured in vain to conciliate by gentle means the friendship of Elizabeth, whom his predecessor's violence had irritated, issued at last a bull of excommunication against her, deprived her of all title to the crown, and absolved her subjects from their oaths of allegiance. It seems probable that this attack on the queen's authority was made in concert with Mary, who intended by that means to forward the northern rebellion, a measure which was at that time in agitation john felton affixed this bull to the gates of the bishop of london's palace and scorning either to fly or to deny the fact he was seized and condemned and received the crown of martyrdom for which he seems to have entertained so violent an ambition a new parliament after five years interval was assembled at westminster and as the queen by the rage of the pope against her was become still more the head of the ruling party. It might be expected, both from this incident and from her own prudent and vigorous conduct, that her authority over the two houses would be absolutely uncontrollable. It was so, in fact, yet it is remarkable that it prevailed not without some small opposition, and that two arising chiefly from the height of zeal for protestantism a disposition of the english which in general contributed extremely to increase the queen's popularity we shall be somewhat particular in relating the transactions of this session because they show as well the extent of the royal power during that age as the character of elizabeth and the genius of her government it will be curious also to observe the faint dawn of the spirit of liberty among the english the jealousy with which that spirit was repressed by the sovereign the imperious conduct which was maintained in opposition to it and the ease with which it was subdued by this arbitrary princess the lord keeper bacon after the speaker of the commons was elected told the parliament in the queen's name that she enjoined them not to meddle with any matters of state such was his expression by which he probably meant the questions of the queen's marriage and the succession about which they had before given her some uneasiness for as to the other great points of government alliances peace and war or foreign negotiations no parliament in that age ever presumed to take them under consideration or question in these particulars the conduct of their sovereign or of his ministers 
in the former parliament the puritans had introduced seven bills for a further reformation in religion but they had not been able to prevail in any one of them this house of commons had sitten a very few days when strickland a member revived one of the bills that for the amendment of the liturgy the chief objection which he mentioned was the sign of the cross in baptism another member added the kneeling at the sacrament and remarked that if a posture of humiliation were requisite in that act of devotion it were better that the communicants should throw themselves prostrate on the ground in order to keep at the widest distance from former superstition religion was a point of which elizabeth was if possible still more jealous than of matters of state she pretended that in quality of supreme head or governor of the church she was fully empowered by her prerogative alone to decide all questions which might arise with regard to doctrine discipline or worship and she never would allow her parliaments so much as to take these points into consideration the courtiers did not forget to insist on this topic the treasurer of the household though he allowed that any heresy might be repressed by parliament a concession which seems to have been rash and unguarded since the act investing the crown with the supremacy or rather recognizing that prerogative gave the sovereign full power to reform all heresies yet he affirmed that it belonged to the queen alone as head of the church to regulate every question of ceremony in worship the comptroller seconded this argument insisted on the extent of the queen's prerogative and said that the house might from former examples have taken warning not to meddle with such matters one pistor opposed these remonstrances of the courtiers he was scandalized he said that affairs of such infinite consequence namely kneeling and making the sign of the cross should be passed over so lightly these questions he added concern the salvation of souls and interest every one more deeply than the monarchy of the whole world this cause he showed to be the cause of god the rest were all but terrene yea trifles in comparison call them ever so great subsidies crowns kingdoms he knew not what weight they had when laid in the balance with subjects of such unspeakable importance though the zeal of this member seems to have been approved of the house overawed by the prerogative voted upon the question that a petition should be presented to her majesty for her license to proceed further in this bill and in the meantime that they should stop all debate or reasoning concerning it matters would probably have rested there had not the queen been so highly offended with strickland's presumption in moving the bill for reformation of the liturgy that she summoned him before the council and prohibited him thenceforth from appearing in the house of commons this act of power was too violent even for the submissive parliament to endure carleton took notice of the matter 
complained that the liberties of the house were invaded, observed that Strickland was not a private man, but represented a multitude, and moved that he might be sent for, and if he were guilty of any offence, might answer for it at the bar of the house, which he insinuated to be the only competent tribunal. Yelverton enforced the principles of liberty with still greater boldness. He said that the precedent was dangerous, and though in this happy time of lenity, among so many good and honourable personages as were present invested with authority, nothing of extremity or injury was to be apprehended, yet the times might alter what is now permitted might hereafter be construed as duty, and might be enforced even on the ground of the present permission. He added that all matters not treasonable, or which implied not too much derogation of the imperial crown, might without offence be introduced into Parliament, where every question that concerned the community must be considered, and where even the right of the crown must finally be determined. He remarked that men sat not in that house in their private capacities, but as elected by their country, and though it was proper that the prince should retain his prerogative, yet was that prerogative limited by law, as the sovereign could not of himself make laws, neither could he break them from his own authority. These principles were popular, and noble, and generous but the open assertion of them was at this time somewhat new in england and the courtiers were more warranted by present practice when they advanced a contrary doctrine the treasurer warned the house to be cautious in their proceedings neither to venture further than their assured warrant might extend nor hazard their good opinion with her majesty in any doubtful cause the member, he said, whose attendance they required, was not restrained on account of any liberty of speech, but for his exhibiting a bill in the house against the prerogative of the Queen, a temerity which was not to be tolerated. And he concluded with observing that even speeches made in that house had been questioned and examined by the Sovereign. Clear another member remarked that the sovereign's prerogative is not so much as disputable and that the safety of the queen is the safety of the subject he added that in questions of divinity every man was for his instruction to repair his ordinary and he seems to insinuate that the bishops themselves for their instruction must repair to the queen fleetwood observed that in his memory he knew a man who in the fifth of the present queen had been called to account for a speech in the house but lest this example should be deemed too recent he would inform them from the parliament rolls that in the reign of henry v a bishop was committed to prison by the king's command on account of his freedom of speech and the Parliament presumed not to go further than to be humble suitors for him. In the subsequent reign the Speaker himself was committed with another member, and the House found no other remedy than a like submissive application. He advised the House to have recourse to the same expedient, 
and not to presume either to send for their member or demand him as of right during this speech those members of the privy council who sat in the house whispered together upon which the speaker moved that the house should make stay of all further proceedings a motion which was immediately complied with the queen finding that the experiment which she had made was likely to excite a great ferment saved her honour by this silence of the house and lest the question might be resumed she sent next day to strickland her permission to give his attendance in parliament notwithstanding this rebuke from the throne the zeal of the commons still engaged them to continue the discussion of those other bills which regarded religion but they were interrupted by a still more arbitrary proceeding of the queen in which the lords consented to be her instruments this house sent a message to the commons desiring that a committee might attend them some members were appointed for that purpose and the upper house informed them that the queen's majesty being informed of the articles of reformation which they had canvassed approved of them intended to publish them and to make the bishops execute them by virtue of her royal authority as supreme head of the church of england but that she would not permit them to be treated of in parliament the house though they did not entirely stop proceedings on account of this injunction seem to have been nowise offended at such haughty treatment and in the issue all the bills came to nothing a motion made by robert bell a puritan against an exclusive patent granted to a company of merchants in bristol gave also occasion to several remarkable incidents the queen some days after the motion was made sent orders by the mouth of the speaker commanding the house to spend little time in motions and to avoid long speeches all the members understood that she had been offended because a matter had been moved which seemed to touch her prerogative fleetwood accordingly spoke of this delicate subject he observed that the queen had a prerogative of granting patents that to question the validity of any patent was to invade the royal prerogative that all foreign trade was entirely subjected to the pleasure of the sovereign that even the statute which gave liberty of commerce admitted of all prohibitions from the crown and that the prince when he granted an exclusive patent only employed the power vested in him and prohibited all others from dealing in any particular branch of commerce he quoted the clerk of the parliament's book to prove that no man might speak in parliament of the statute of wills unless the king first gave license because the royal prerogative in the wards was thereby touched he showed likewise the statutes of edward the first edward the third and henry the fourth with the saving of the prerogative and in edward the sixth time the protector was applied to for his allowance to mention matters of prerogative sir humphrey gilbert the gallant and renowned sea adventurer carried these topics still further he endeavoured to prove the notion made by bell to be a vain device 
and perilous to be treated of since it tended to the derogation of the prerogative imperial which whoever should attempt so much as in fancy could not he said be otherwise accounted than an open enemy for what difference is there between saying that the queen is not to use the privilege of the crown and saying that she is not queen and though experience has shown so much clemency in her majesty as might perhaps make subjects forget their duty it is not good to sport or venture too much with princes he reminded them of the fable of the hare who upon the proclamation that all horned beasts should depart the court immediately fled lest his ears should be construed to be horns and by this apologue he seems to insinuate that even those who heard or permitted such dangerous speeches would not themselves be entirely free from danger he desired them to be aware lest if they meddled further with these matters the queen might look to her own power and finding herself able to suppress their challenged liberty and to exert an arbitrary authority might imitate the example of louis the eleventh of france who as he termed it delivered the crown from wardship though this speech gave some disgust nobody at the time replied anything but that sir humphrey mistook the meaning of the house and of the member who made the motion they never had any other purpose than to represent their grievances in due and seemly form unto her majesty but in a subsequent debate peter wentworth a man of a superior free spirit called that speech an insult on the house noted sir humphrey's disposition to flatter and fawn on the prince compared him to the chameleon which can change itself into all colours except white and recommended to the house a due care of liberty of speech and of the privileges of parliament it appears on the whole that the motion against the exclusive patent had no effect bell the member who first introduced it was sent for by the council and was severely reprimanded for his temerity he returned to the house with such an amazed countenance that all the members well informed of the reason were struck with terror and during some time no one durst rise to speak of any matter of importance for fear of giving offence to the queen and council even after the fears of the commons were somewhat abated the members spoke with extreme precaution and by employing most of their discourse in preambles and apologies they showed their conscious terror of the rod which hung over them wherever any delicate point was touched though ever so gently nay seemed to be approached though at ever so great a distance the whisper ran about the house the queen will be offended the council will be extremely displeased and by these surmises men were warned of the danger to which they exposed themselves it is remarkable that the patent which the queen defended with such imperious violence was contrived for the profit of four courtiers and was attended with the utter ruin of seven or eight thousand of her industrious subjects 
thus everything which passed the two houses was extremely respectful and submissive yet did the queen think it incumbent on her at the conclusion of the session to check and that with great severity those feeble efforts of liberty which had appeared in the motions and speeches of some members the lord keeper told the commons in her majesty's name that though the majority of the lower house had shown themselves in the proceedings discreet and dutiful yet a few of them had discovered a contrary character and had justly merited the reproach of audacious arrogant and presumptuous contrary to their duty both as subjects and parliament men nay contrary to the express injunctions given them from the throne at the beginning of the session injunctions which it might well become them to have better attended to they had presumed to call in question her majesty's grants and prerogatives but her majesty warns them that since they thus wilfully forget themselves they are otherwise to be admonished some other species of correction must be found for them since neither the commands of her majesty nor the example of their wiser brethren can reclaim the audacious arrogant and presumptuous folly by which they are thus led to meddle with what nowise belongs to them and what lies beyond the compass of their understanding in all these transactions appears clearly the opinion which elizabeth had entertained of the duty and authority of parliaments they were not to canvass any matters of state still less were they to meddle with the church questions of either kind were far above their reach and were appropriated to the prince alone or to those councils and ministers with whom he was pleased to entrust them what then was the office of parliaments they might give directions for the due tanning of leather or milling of cloth for the preservation of pheasants and partridges for the reparation of bridges and highways for the punishment of vagabonds or common beggars regulations concerning the police of the country came properly under their inspection and the laws of this kind which they prescribed had if not a greater yet a more durable authority than those which were derived solely from the proclamations of the sovereign precedents or reports could fix a rule for decisions in private property or the punishment of crimes but no alteration or innovation in the municipal law could proceed from any other source than the parliament nor would the courts of justice be induced to change their established practice by an order of council but the most acceptable part of parliamentary proceedings was the granting of subsidies the attainting and punishing of the obnoxious nobility or any minister of state after his fall the countenancing of such great efforts of power as might be deemed somewhat exceptionable when they proceeded entirely from the sovereign the redress of grievances were sometimes promised to the people but seldom could have place while it was an established rule that the prerogatives of the crown must not be abridged or so much as questioned and examined in parliament 
even though monopolies and exclusive companies had already reached an enormous height and were every day increasing to the destruction of all liberty and extinction of all industry it was criminal in a member to propose in the most dutiful and regular manner a parliamentary application against any of them these maxims of government were not kept secret by elizabeth nor smoothed over by any fair appearances or plausible pretences they were openly avowed in her speeches and messages to parliament and were accompanied with all the haughtiness nay sometimes bitterness of expression which the meanest servant could look for from his offended master yet notwithstanding this conduct elizabeth continued to be the most popular sovereign that ever swayed the sceptre of england because the maxims of her reign were conformable to the principles of the time and to the opinion generally entertained with regard to the constitution the continued encroachments of popular assemblies on elizabeth's successors have so changed our ideas in these matters that the passages above mentioned appear to us extremely curious and even at first surprising but they were so little remarked during the time that neither camden though a contemporary writer nor any other historian has taken any notice of them so absolute indeed was the authority of the crown that the precious spark of liberty had been kindled and was preserved by the puritans alone and it was to this sect whose principles appear so frivolous and habits so ridiculous that the english owe the whole freedom of their constitution actuated by that zeal which belongs to innovators and by the courage which enthusiasm inspires they hazarded the utmost indignation of their sovereign and employing all their industry to be elected into parliament a matter not difficult while a seat was rather regarded as a burden than an advantage they first acquired a majority in that assembly and then obtained an ascendant over the church and monarchy End of section 16, chapter 40, part 3.